Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest sees the return of Nicole Rodriguez, who was previously on episode 28. Nicole is someone who has had a massive impact in my life and coaching career. Nicole was my head coach when I interned at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning back in 2009 and someone who I've always considered as a mentor and close friend. To me, Nicole is one of the finest coaches I've ever worked with within the physical preparation profession. Nicole is a human performance coach who serves American and international teams and organizations. She's currently living and consulting in Central Europe, building developmental programs and infrastructure for professional soccer clubs and community-based soccer clubs. In 2018, she consulted for the Dutch national volleyball team in preparation for the 2018 World Championships. From 2012 to 2017, Nicole joined Exos, formerly Atlee's Performance, as a human performance coach and education specialist. She served as the education department head for Team Exos, a human performance company in Phoenix, Arizona, who serves the world's elite athletic populations. In 2012, she supported international football organizations, rugby organizations, international cycling, and various American sports. Prior to Exos, Nicole worked alongside Mike Boyle from 2006 to 2012. There, Nicole trained a full spectrum of clients and athletes, including NFL, NBL, NFL, Olympic ice hockey, amateur athletes, and the general population. Nicole is a movement specialist who focuses on building on-field and court performance through movement efficiency, 
player buy-in and various speed strength applications. Nicole obtained her license in massage therapy from the Corteva Institute in Boston, Massachusetts and holds various certifications and licenses. On this episode, Nicole and I discuss Nicole's background. I asked Nicole about the decision to go out on her own as a performance coach and consultant and the process of overcoming fear when it comes to a life change. We discuss finding your why, core values, fulfillment and coaching burnout. I asked Nicole to share her thoughts on what long-term athlete development means to her. Nicole talks about the need to educate youth athletes in nutrition and mindset. I asked Nicole about character development for coaches and what response she has gotten within the organizations that she has applied her long-term athletic development in so far. I asked Nicole about her session structure with her youth soccer groups. I asked Nicole to discuss the importance of communication. I asked Nicole for the biggest lessons she has learned so far in her life and career. I asked Nicole how she learns. I asked Nicole if she has any daily habits or rituals that are essential to the success of her day. I asked Nicole if she only had one year left on planet Earth, how would she spend that year and why? And finally, I asked Nicole if she could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would she invite and why? Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding conversation with Nicole, and I hope you really, really enjoyed. Nicole, we are recording. Thank you so much for making time to speak to me today. How are you doing? Uh, all, all is well here in Poland, staying warm. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what it's, what, what, do you know what the current temperature is there right now? Uh, I don't know, maybe like three degrees Celsius, something yeah, like that. Because it's, it's, a, it's a, a beautiful, windy, slightly wet day here in Ireland. Don't know how, how yeah. I preface it with beautiful, but uh, uh, listen, it's great to see your, see your face, great to hear your voice, and it's always great to catch up. Um, just for the listeners, Nick, uh, can you fill us in your background? And actually, like... I, I really want to hear your whole background story as well. Like, you know, where are you from, where you grew up, how you got into the whole coaching profession, organizations you've worked for, and, and where you're currently at now. Yeah, no, thank you for asking. Um, so I started off actually at a very young age. Um, the, the real story, and this will kind of link back into why I do what I do, um, the real story starting off at, you know, the age of five, six years old, um, I was gifted athletically, and so was my father. Um, my father and my grandfather had uh, scholarships to play at Texas A&M for football. Um, my dad was very gifted athletically from a baseball and football perspective, American football. And um, it started off at a really young age um, where I actually, at the age of five and six, I started training with my dad because I just wanted to run. Uh, so I started off, you know, at like six, seven years old, running these little local community one mile races, and I always just kept winning. So then as I started uh, becoming a little bit more competitive, I started training and, you know, at a very young age, and it sounds wild, like training at, at such a young age, but I remember days that I didn't want to go for my runs with my dad. Um, so it all kind of started at a young age with my dad. And the interesting part was when I was about, uh, I don't know, nine years old, um, literally this, check out this environment. I would wake up in the morning in the summers, right? No school, wake up in the morning and I would find my dad, the coach, um, with about four to seven cousins in the backyard training. And that was um, leading into um, going with them to the gym. And basically we had these off season summer training programs 
uh, in Brownsville, Texas, which is, you know, basically an extension of Mexico. Um, and, you know, they were pushing cars, uh, they were lifting weights, they were sprinting and, you know, very fundamental stuff. And um, that's kind of where it all started. So at a young age, you know, I was my dad's assistant coach. Um, and my dad just kind of had a conversation with me when I was, um, you know, old enough to kind of understand what was going on. So call it about, uh, for my dad, 10, 11, 12. Um, and he was just like, listen, he's like, you're going to go to college. Um, he goes, we can't afford it. So you either have to figure out a way academically, how you'll do it athletically, how you'll do it. I don't care if you want to dance, sing, whatever the case is. He goes, you're going to have to figure out a way to get yourself educated. And I was like, okay. So it was kind of always like the common goal between dad and I. And, you know, the truth is I started training at, at nine, 10 years old with the boys, with the cousins. And, you know, my dad was a big influence on me. And if you ever wonder like, oh, why is Nicole really the way she is? It's because my dad was, you know, I was raised um, a little militant. Um, my grandfather was in the army and it was always like a firm and fair culture. You know, I'll always be firm and I'll always be fair. Um, so it really started uh, then. Um, both my dad and I reached the goal of getting me into a university. I had two scholarships, um, one in basketball and one in softball. And I picked um, the softball scholarship because it was a Division One school in Texas. Um, so Division One, I, I would kind of compare it to European standards is like a semi-professional league. Um, so very high level, full strength and conditioning. And I started um, my career as an athlete in university. So mission accomplished. I used sport to further my education. Um, after four amazing years at my university, going through like proper SNC program, uh, division one program, um, I started my master's degree at Texas Women's University um, in exercise science and nutrition. And that master's degree required me to get an internship. Mm. Uh, and that's when I uh, got exposed to Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, where you and I, Robbie, met. And uh, I absolutely love the experience. Uh, it was, to this day, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. As, as you remember, uh, six days a week, Monday through Friday, 16-hour days. And uh, we, we went through that internship experience. and. Um, and yeah, it was great. I got offered a job uh, immediately afterwards. I politely declined, went back to Texas. Yeah, went back to Texas, um, continued on what I was doing. And I actually saw Mike Boyle at a Perform Better Summit in Dallas, Texas. And I, this was whatever, 2005 or something like that. And I saw Mike Boyle and he's like, Nick, how are you doing? And, uh, and I was just like, you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm working here. I'm still studying. I'm doing this. And I was like, but I think I made a big mistake. And he, and he looked at me and, and I was like, I think I should have stayed in Boston. And he's just like, you know what? He's like, you come back. He's like, come back. And there's still a spot for you. And literally Robbie, I don't know. I mean, many people don't know this, but I called my mom. I told her exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and she bought me a very nice car. <laughs> uh, she bought me my first car. Wow. And literally the next week, I drove all by myself across the country from Texas to Boston. And I started my life. And I lived in Boston for six years, um, where I experienced uh, so much. 
Um, and it was one of the best experiences really of my career because it introduced me to training youth and it introduced me to what we can do from a long-term athletic uh, development perspective. So, um, so I will always uh, have a tremendous amount of respect for Mike and the entire team at MBSC. Um, so as you know, I, I spent six years at MBSC, um, Olympic ice hockey, professional ice hockey, Major League Baseball, youth training, general population. And as many people know, with the MBSC structure, you usually do that all in one day. Mm. Um, so it was a very unique, diverse experience. Um, but that was actually my, my first uh, opportunity to work inside Olympic sports um, with women's ice hockey and um yeah so i was there till 2012 and um i was actually working on ways to uh, upgrade or figure out ways to upgrade my input of improving the education with my foil strength and conditioning so you know what i wanted to do was you know travel around and see what other people were doing um, so I can provide better insight because I was not a teacher or an educator, so to speak, back then. Um, but I was just assisting Mike. And long story short, after you know seeing what other people in the U.S. were doing, um, I came across Exos. And obviously, Exos and Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning have very close ties and relationships, very similar methodologies, um, just different ways of executing in different populations. And long story short. Um, after spending some time at Exos, uh, I was uh, recruited. I was offered a position. Um, and my goal at the time in 2012 was to travel the world. And uh, because I'm, again, a small, you know, Hispanic woman um, that, that really didn't get to travel as, as a kid, um, as, you know, as a family. So that was my goal. I was like, okay, now I want to, I, I have a good foundation. I've had six great years of experience. Now I want to travel the world, and basically Exos allowed me that opportunity. Um, so in 2012, um, I, tra I say I transitioned, but I, I transitioned over to Exos, um, and actually Nick Winkleman hired me. Um, so, and obviously Nick's doing great things there in Ireland, but Nick Winkleman hired me and I don't know if a lot of people know this and I don't know, like what, I don't do a lot of podcasts. I don't know what I should say or shouldn't say, but it was actually Anthony Renna that connected us because Anthony was doing education or doing some work at MBSC. I was coaching and teaching, helping Mike. And he's like, holy shit. He goes, I think I just found the female version of Nick Winkleman. <laughs> so, I mean, Nick and I kind of share a similar passion and intensity uh, for things. So anyways, that, that's actually how it all happened. And um, so anyways, I, I started working uh, with Exos um, and assisting Nick to uh, help deliver and upgrade the education department. And so my life was really interesting from 2012 all the way through 2017 because six months of my year was spent in Europe and South America, and the other six months of my year was spent um, uh, in the U.S. training in Phoenix, Arizona. So I had a really interesting uh, life there. Um, so then come full circle now to present day 2018. Um, Actually, at the end of 2017, I resigned from my full-time position at Exos um, because I just, you know, I had a, 
I was going through a lot of personal development at the time. I had some big life changes and uh, I was like, you know, seeing life, you know, lifestyle design coaches. I was seeing a therapist and really trying to kind of figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life basically. And in 2017, I was um, asking, or actually in 2016, I started asking questions to the leadership at Exos. Uh, wondering if they were really going to jump in the youth development space because I believe that the system components of Exos and MBSC um, can deliver so much to youth. And, you know, the long story at the end, after a year of kind of waiting and saying, hey, let's do this and throwing out ideas, um, you know, we were just moving in a different direction. Uh, so that's when I resigned in 2017 from Exos. Um, and, and yeah, and I was just like, listen, I'm going to burn my boats. I didn't want to burn any bridges, but I wanted to burn my boats and say, Hey, I'm going to leave this really nice, comfortable experience that I have a well-paid position working with international rugby teams, international, uh, football, soccer teams, or, you know, working with all these amazing athletes with amazing resources. And I just said, you know, look, and I'm going to, I'm going to burn my boats. Um, and it was either go to South America or come to Europe. And here I am in Europe, uh, now present day, 2018, um, said, I'm going to move. I got a European work visa. Um, so now I'm living in Europe full time. This is my first year. And uh, I actually took a six-month contract with the Dutch national volleyball team, um, which, man, we can get into some deep conversations there because it was a great experience. Mm. Um, but I, I supported the Dutch national women's volleyball team um, from April to end of October uh, because they wanted, they wanted to qualify for the Olympics. And when they go to the Olympics, they want a medal. Um, and so there's a lot of room for growth there. So I decided to, while I was in Europe, my first opportunity, um, being on my own, so to speak, I, I jumped on that opportunity. Now the season's ended and I'm living full time in Gliwice, Poland, uh, which is in the Southern part of Poland, uh, because this is where we have, um, endless resources, um, or opportunities to work with basketball volleyball, futsal, football. I mean, there's even American football here in Poland. It, it has everything. And the beauty of it is we have strong networks and connections that allows me to come in and support these different organizations. So um, we are doing some education. We still partner. I still consult for Exos because I, I believe in, in what they do. So I still do some consulting for Exos. Um, but we work with Kaiser, we work with FMS, and basically we're just trying to, um, as a company, support this part of the world. Um, so for me right now, I'm not, you won't see me much in London, the UK, you know, in, in Ireland, Germany, Switzerland anymore, because I'm just trying to focus on this part of the world. Because as you heard from the previous story of my upbringing, I have an interest in development. So whether that's development of coaches, players, you know, people, that's what I want. And, you know, I think the other countries have a good framework, but when you come to this part of the world, there's so much room for growth and uh, it's not an easy place to live culturally. Um, but, you know, I take Polish lessons every Monday night. I'm learning the language. Um, I'm 
you know, I, you have to be fearless going into like just last night. Um, there's a local futsal team, professional league, um, trying to get to the highest league. They're in the, the first league right now, trying to get to the extra league. And literally, um, they're like, yeah, we, we want to work with you. We want to introduce you to our players. So literally, I just went there, you know, never met them before in my life. Um, now, because I've worked with so many new athletes, I've developed, you know, like a, a 20 to 25 minute program that can give me information the way the FMS can give me um, and, you know, look at kind of how they're producing power, uh, looking at their movement patterns. So completely fearless, I'll go into these um, organizations, you know, professional men and that don't speak my language and then speak a little bit of English. And again, from a relationship um, communication piece, it's all about nonverbal communication. Um, so, so yeah, that's a long story with my intro. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically it. Holy footballs. That is an amazing introduction. Um, there's actually a few things that I learned there that I didn't know. I actually never knew you had the basketball scholarship. Was, was that a division one school as well? It was a division two. That's why I didn't take it. <laughs> and uh, Nick, what was your under your official undergrad in? So your master's was it was in an exercise science. What was your undergrad? Mm-hmm. Um, that was in kinesiology and health science. Okay, that, that's sorry. That, that was just purely I wanted to know that. But uh, uh, <clears throat> I have for this podcast anyway. Communication, um, communicating in different cultures, and long-term athlete development are sort of the main topics we sort of spoke about before we hopped online. And if we get a chance, maybe speak about your sort of concepts around speed and multi-directional speed, agility development, and skill acquisition, if we get there. But just a, a, a question that came to me as you were giving your introduction. And by the way, thank you so much. That was amazing. I was just so enthralled. I was like, this story is amazing. Um, I, well, first off, I will say for your listeners, um, I've never met your listeners before, but you asked me for my full background and story. So technically, that wasn't an introduction. So. Oh yeah, you know, I did, I did, I did, and that's exactly what I wanted. But I love when people, because you know, the frame of reference now for the rest of the conversation is is perfect. You know, it's a great foundation. But you mentioned there, like you mentioned, and even just listen to your story, you've alluded to this concept of overcoming fear. Like, so you know, leaving Texas, going up to Boston, like you know. So for European listeners who don't really understand American geography, that's a massive move. That's basically like me moving from Dublin to like. East, almost Asia, almost like Eastern Europe, somewhere you know. Um, so, like you know, getting over this fear, like making these big moves. And another question I just have for you too: you, your latest move, so where you resigned kind of your role from Exos and and have done your move in Europe. Was there any individuals that like you um, you consulted with, you know, that you spoke to? Because what it reminds me of too is like Brett Bartholomew, for instance. You know, he could have took a few professional roles. He could have stayed with Exos. But like, you know, from speaking with a Brett person, he's like, no, I, I decided I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to go my own way. And, you know, with the success of what he's brought forward in, in his online course and his consultant, you know, it seems to be the, the right decision. But, you know, at the time where you're sort of, oh, I am very comfortable. I could stay here. But a voice is like, yeah, but you're not going to grow here. And I think a lot of us, and I'm, I'm currently there too. There's days where I'm like, you know, I'm very comfortable. Life is great. But another part is like, yeah, but you're not going to grow if you just stay in this position all the time. So could you maybe speak about like, you know, overcoming this fear or what Stephen Pressfield would call resistance and why it is so important to grow that? And maybe just like, if you can talk us through like your mindset in those situations. Yeah, um, you know, for me, I, I didn't 
especially back when in 2005, six, when I moved to Boston from Texas, uh, to be honest, Robbie, that was all gut instinct. Um, like there, there was no question about it. I was like, no, 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 no. Like this is actually what I need right now. Um, so there was actually no question. I didn't talk to anyone about it. Like I, I didn't really, I was so young. I mean, I had my friends and my sister, um, and my mom and things like that, but they weren't, you know, I didn't really have any mentors at the time. We were so young. Um, so for me, that was just pure gut instinct and call it, Hey man, this was meant to be. Cause I really do. Like when I tell people my story and who I've worked with, like, come on, Robbie, like I've, I've worked with the all blacks before or five of their players. Like, no, no, are you kidding me? Like no one gets those opportunities to work with players like that. And I was, I was supporting an Adidas um, consulting contract uh, with that. Um, so it wasn't like it was a team deal, but the point is like, I really do think like my career path was meant to be because the opportunities that I've had, like, I don't hear a lot of people with those opportunities. So, um, for, so from Texas to Boston, that was pure gut instinct. Um, and then from, uh, where was I? Phoenix, Arizona to Govica, Poland, you know, that was, um, I did consult and talk to, again, my, my therapist. I saw a therapist for two years. Um, and, and I was, you know, basically telling him and he helped me develop my compelling why. He helped me develop and process what my values were. And no one's ever taken me through those sorts of exercises. Um, but now I can tell you, hey, like I know what my values are. I know what my compelling why is. And, you know, basically talking to him and some close, uh, very close friends and mentors um, on the fact of whether I should leave the United States to go work in Europe where youth development is basically non-existent, you know, unless you work with a high level club. Um, when I was talking to Greg Rose, he was actually saying that um, Europe is, is very far behind the U.S., Australia, obviously, and even parts of South America. Um, so my decision to come to Europe, um, I did bounce that off some key people in my life. But ultimately, I was following my values and I was following my compelling why, which, you know, basically the short summary of that is, hey, how do I help other youth athletes, other kids who are in my situation that are in maybe underdeveloped parts of the world um, who, you know, will kind of live a normal nine to five life unless, unless they can get educated or unless they can really make it to that professional football club or rugby club that they want to work for. Um, so, so yeah, that, that was, uh, again, you know, part of it was instinct, but part of that was my burning desire um, not to go out on my own, Robbie. Um, because, and we know each other personally, so I'm, I'm going to talk to you personally here, but, uh, and my goal wasn't to go out on my own. Um, I, I wanted to, I still am open to working with other organizations who have a focus on youth development, but to be honest, like, I don't find many of those. I, I don't find um, many organizations that are completely dedicated, um, to the youth development space. So therefore I was just like, listen, I'm not finding it. There are, you know, good academy systems and things like that. But for then, you know, a global perspective, um, it to me was a, a gap. 
uh, in service. And that's what I'm trying to do is fill this gap in service in youth sports after my 13 years of experience in uh, national team settings, professional team settings, and then inside, you know, two of the best uh, in my opinion, private facilities in the world. Um, and that's basically what I'm doing is trying to fill the gap in service. Well, so. That's great. Yeah, it was really, really great. I, I love the way, you, you know, you talk about your finding your why to and talking about core values. And maybe it's because, you know, the two of us are, you know, we're, we're similar enough in age and probably our experience and backgrounds. Um, well, I mean, you've got way, well, your experiences are greater than mine. I mean, work, I haven't worked with all blacks, but uh, I just mean in terms of maybe in our age and in terms of uh, our length within the field, but that's kind of where my headspace has been, you know, uh, a lot lately in terms of, you know, getting to like, what are my core values? And I think, you know, for a lot of, because I've been speaking about this an awful lot on some recent podcasts that, you know, if you really don't know what your current core values are, you're kind of just going around like a headless chicken and that leads to just unfulfillment and unhappiness. And you, again, you get into situations where you're like, holy shit, I've been here five years and it's, am I happy? Am I fulfilled? Like, should I stay here? Should I go? Uh, whereas, you know, if you can sit down and say, well, what, what, what are, like, what's true to me? Like, what are my core values and priorities? You know, well, like that gives you a bit of an anchor then to sort of make your, your life decisions off. And I think a key thing too is to, to, to be able to, and I've said this soon, a few recent, um, conversations is to understand the fact that like we're dynamic organisms and that our priorities and core values will change it's okay that what fulfills us moment to moment changes so like you've alluded to you know you worked at boils and then the next step was exos and then it was exos now your next step is this adventure that you're on in, in europe and it's just being able to you know come to an awareness that it's okay that you're that what fulfills you will change over time because i think a lot of people what I see, Nick, and, and, and you can you can um, expand on this if you want. Like, we have friends in professional sport. I know a lot of guys in professional and girls, and they're miserable. Like, they, they, they get there, right? And, and, you know, the first year, like, the, you know, they love it. You know, second year, it's great. And then, you know, the third year, the fourth year, uh, you know. And what kind of happens is they get this sort of wrestling match in their brain where it's like uh, they're sitting down one day and they're like, do you know what? I I know this is going to sound really ungrateful, but I kind of don't want to do this anymore. And then another voice goes, "You ungrateful little bastard! How like all you said was I all you said was I want to get a pro sport job. If I get that, that's it. I'll be fulfilled forever." And then like just the fulfillment check because priorities change. The the organization's gone a different way. Family life's not as good because they're not getting home to see their partner or kids. Maybe all that type of stuff gets into it. And then they get into this just like guilt and shame. And then they're just not a nice human being to be around because they're not happy. And it's like, it's, it's be able to bring to those people's awareness. Listen, it's okay that this doesn't fulfill you anymore and step away. That is fine because you are a human being that changes moment to moment. You are dynamic. Priorities and core values change. And how I always explain this to Nick is that like you cannot tell me that your core values now in your mid-30s were the same when you were like 18 years old back in college. So, of course, you're a different person. So what fulfills you moment to moment is going to change. And it's okay that you can move on and, and go to different adventures. And that's why I really wanted you to allude on, you know, making those decisions to go from, to go from Texas to Boils, to go from Boils to Exos, to go from Exos to, to, to Europe. Like, that is like, you know, like, again, that's what makes you grow as a person. So I don't know. If, I, I have no question on that. It's just if you want to expand on that, you, you do, because I have questions to ask yeah. after this. No, I, I think you're spot on with that because, you know, to what you just said, people, my friends and colleagues as well that are in these 
professional, top professional organizations, and you ask them, like, hey, like, are you really satisfied and fulfilled? And, you know, oftentimes the answer is no. And to me, and this was kind of like the experience that, that I had with the Dutch national team, um, like, to me, we as professionals don't talk about it enough. Um, we as professionals that work in the national team setting, in professional team settings, don't talk about the reality of actually what goes on because let's be honest, any national team, any professional team, it's a business. There's politics. And unless you're able, and I learned that when I was at MBSE, when I was working for USA Olympic Hockey, like great organization. I loved what I was doing, but that was my first realization of, whoa, this is a very political thing. Like national team sports are very political. And I know why people don't talk about their bad experiences. I know why people, um, you know, because they don't want to throw an organization under the bus. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. But I personally think, and it's going to start with me, um, but I personally think as professionals, we need to talk about the demands the reality of what national team and pro sports have. And it's funny because everyone um, in the past, not everyone, but people would give an organization like Exos, um, like, they, you know, they'd, they'd give them a little bit of shit because, you know, they'd be like, oh, Exos. And I have like a list of things that people would say, oh, Exos, it's great. You guys do an amazing job, but it's Disneyland. Oh, you know, it's Nirvana. It's, you know, this and that, like it's this and that's like this perfect little bubble. And I, I didn't understand why people were saying that um, until I stepped out of the bubble. Right. So when people would say, you know, places like Exos and, you know, perfect world scenario, come to the real world. And OK, cool. So I go to the real world and I have my experience outside an Exos contract because all of my team experience has been contracted either through Mike Boyle or Exos. And see what people don't talk about is again the the human resource part of sport and understanding that an organization um and we'll say like AS Roma with Ed Lippy and Darcy Norman, you know, great people that basically had to develop an entire culture. So I'm not saying just exos, but like-minded people that have a similar um, philosophy, similar values, um, similar ways of communication, um, those organizations can work together. And what people don't talk about is, you know, the difficulties in quote-unquote real-life professional scenarios because the leadership is poor. So what I learned um, just this year, being outside of a company like Exos or Exos supported contracts with the right people, um, is that, you know what? Yeah, at, at, Ex at a place like Exos or any American university, um, you do have the best X, Y, and Z tools and Kaisers and, you know, facilities and setup. But what no one talks about is, you know, the, the necessity for the right leadership to keep, you know, to keep the ship sailing in the right direction. And that's kind of my experience, uh, especially with this, uh, you know, with my recent volleyball experience, because actually there was a, here's something that I, I'll never forget. Uh, many years ago, I was talking to 
um, a mindset coach, a psychologist who works literally with all of the best American teams. Okay. Like he's, he's basically the mindset coach for all of the top universities, professional teams across the U S very interesting man. And he, and I, and one day I was just like, you know, Hey, how are you doing? Um, what teams are you going to work with next year? Like who's knocking on your door? And he goes, Nick, there's a lot of people knocking on my door. He goes, there's a lot of people that want to work with me, but you know what? He goes, those organizations are D organizations. He goes, you can't put an A plus guy in a D organization and expect a C. And I was just like, geez, Louise. I was like, okay. And you know what? The next team contract that I signed and I'm, I'm playing more of a consultant role right now. I'm not wanting to do the day to day work. 11 months out of the year, six, seven days out of the week. Because again, when I come back to my goals, my values, my compelling why, I want to build this youth program, this infrastructure for youth development. Um, so right now, that's not going to be a part of my, my, my yes column, um, but I will consult. But now, any other opportunity that I say that I, if I have to spend more than three months somewhere, um, then I'm asking myself, what kind of organization is this? You know, I, are they at least a B organization? Otherwise, I'm probably not going to be a good fit because I want growth. I want change. You know, I want, and I, we can work towards that if there's a 10 year plan, but that's not how it works in pro sports. And people need to talk about that some more. And I don't think this podcast is the right time to kind of really dive into the experience and really kind of share my thoughts and feelings about organizational behavior. Um, but I think that just needs to be talked about. And if it is, I mean, people out there, please send me links of people kind of talking about this, but I just don't think it's talked about enough. So it's all about organizational behavior. All I can say to that is a fucking man. And just one thing I want to say is when you said, you know, you don't want to be like coaching 11 hours a day, how, how good does it actually feel to say that out loud? Because I don't know about I don't know about you, but like for for me for like the last I'd say two or three years where I was coaching intensely, I was at that stage. Was like I kind of I'm not fulfilled by this, but I'm nearly too ashamed. Like because Nicole, honestly, I was getting like this this uh, this image of Mike, like Mike being there, and like kind of saying I don't I kind of don't want to grind anymore. Mike, going your week, I worked in a bar. I know Mike wouldn't do that, but that's kind of and like I've spoke to him since about this. That listen, like it's just simply that coaching doesn't fulfill me and it, it, it stopped fulfilling me and and just that's not to say that it won't fulfill me later on in the future it's it's not like again something can fulfill you and then not fulfill you and then re-fulfill you again like again because you're dynamic but what fulfills me right now is is studying and learning and you know kind of innovating thoughts together like i'm deep into my studies and research and like that fulfills me and having deep conversations like this and a bit of consulting too whereas you know being on a floor for 10 11 hours a day that's just that's just doesn't fulfill me and it's it's not only is it unfair to myself obviously but it's completely unfair then to the people who who i should be serving because i'm not the best me because i'm not being fulfilled and just when you said that i was like oh it's so nice to be able to actually say that and realize that it's okay yeah, I mean, it, the, the coaching seasons uh, ebb and flow. I, I, right now, um, my coaching schedule, um, if I'm not working on a, a preseason or working on a contract, and we're just kind of looking at day-to-day, um, if I'm not, not currently consulting, 
Um, basically, I'm coaching from about mainly in the afternoons and the evenings because I'm working with youth now. Um, so my, my coaching hours are, are mainly in the afternoon from call it, you know, four to 9 PM. Um, you know, and it still works out for me cause I'm still single. <laughs> I don't have any kids yet, uh, or anything like that. So that, that still works out for me, but Hey, if this is the area that I'm trying to improve, um, and this is the area that I'm trying to, you know, give my resources to. Um, this is just kind of the life. And right now there's opportunities for me to start, um, working with a, a football school. Um, basically the way this particular school works is the players come in and train in the morning, um, and then, you know, start classes, call it 10 AM, um, go through classes and then train again in the afternoon. So they basically go through five days a week of two a days. Um, you know, working on physical development and, and football. So um, ho hopefully everything kind of comes together with that project because that'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun to have, you know, 160, you know, young football players uh, all working in somewhat of a structured environment. So, yeah, so we'll see. Okay, well, let's touch into long-term athlete development. So I'm going to leave this pretty open-ended in general. So when, when you hear long-term athlete development, like, just give me your full thoughts on that. And just before I do let you answer, um, are, are you mainly, and you'll, you'll probably you'll allude to this in your answer, are you mainly focusing on long-term athletic development purely for developing athletes within a sport? Or are you seeing long-term athlete development as utilizing sport to enhance people's lives? So, like, even, like, general population, bring that into schools. Like, okay, like, the vast majority aren't going to be pro athletes, but I'm, I'm using sport to make these people better human beings. Yeah, currently right now I'm working more on the athletic part. Um, I think eventually I'll go more into the physical education aspect of it. But right now it's very much, you know, working with, you know, set academies. Um, so it's more on the sporting end of it to, to build athletes. Um, but my thoughts you know, with the whole, with the idea of long-term athletic development is, you know, if you kind of look at it from a 30,000 foot view, um, and this is the problem that I'm trying to solve is when they become 16, 17, 18, and they've been identified to go to a professional club, so to speak, um, you know, what I'm trying to do is, is develop them to manage themselves. And, and, and I don't know if it's going to be realistic. I think it is because we've done it before at MBSC. Um, but ultimately, because I've seen so many different types of programs out there, because I've worked with just last night, uh, anywhere between, you know, 19, 20, all the way to 30-year-old futsal players that, I mean, you can tell that no one's ever taught them, you know, basic uh, biomechanics, basic movement patterns. No one, they, they don't have, and based off of what I saw in that 20-minute block, they don't have the physical qualities um, to be able to express it on, on, on the futsal uh, court pitch. Um, so really my goal with long-term long athletic development is to develop a program that is going to allow the athlete to manage themselves when they become basically professional or when they're playing for the reserve teams or when they're playing for their UAT teams, uh, U18 teams. And, and that's kind of like my end goal with that. Um, and, and I think that 
it comes from a, a large education piece. And the way that I'm building out my program right now for long-term athletic development um, is threefold. It starts with the player and, you know, basically with any proper um, physical education or, or physical development program, um, you know, it has kind of a little checklist there. So we have player development, um, looking at step-by-step. -step. We have coach development, whether in more, more, more times and then it's actually the sporting coach here in Europe that is trying to develop the player. These young academies don't have performance coaches. So I have to break this. Um, so I break my program up into what am I teaching the sport coaches in terms of what to do in their first 20 minutes of practice? And then what am I teaching the physical development coaches um, from a youth perspective? And then my final block in my long-term athletic development program is how we're educating the players. And I'm sorry, sorry, how we're educating the parents, excuse me. So players, coaches, and parents, because I think when you're talking about youth development, all three, you know, organisms play into the, into the big picture. Um, so right now, and that's what I'm doing, and I started a little website where I kind of broke it up into player, coach, parent categories, but with the, um, the Dutch national team that basically took eight months of my, of my year. So I wasn't able to develop all the resources, but that'll definitely be happening in 2019. Um, so yeah, so that's basically from a big picture perspective, my goal with long-term development is teaching players how to manage themselves and then their support group coaches and parents you know, kind of educating them on what we're doing and how they can support the player because I really don't see any, um, I, I don't see it being successful if we just focus on the player at this young age. I think it has to be all three factors. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you say the term, you know, teach the players to manage themselves, are you are you using that term like holistically are we are, are you gonna like is this going to be a term like you know mentally nutritionally you know every, every not just the physical capacity aspects yeah yeah um what we're trying to do and i mean to me it, it the character development aspect depends on the coach right the coach is the role model um so they're you know we have character development um pieces to that um, and then from a nutritional standpoint, actually, um, I have a, a lot of good friends who are nutritionists and we're basically going back square one, Robbie, uh, home economics 101, uh, how to boil an egg, uh, how to work with water, how to make your own rice, your own pasta, because really what you're finding is, is I mean, culturally, it's different here eating in Poland, um, but parents aren't cooking for kids anymore. You know, so, I mean, I was just like, you know what, I think, you know, we need to, and this was actually recommended by my um, old colleague, Danielle Lafada. I was like, hey, man, what's the starting point? She's a nutritionist that's worked with many professional uh, football clubs. I was like, what's the starting point? And she's like, Nicole, basic home economics. How do you make your own good ham sandwich? How do you make your own eggs in the morning and start in, I'm just like, wow. So we're, we're looking at the nutritional aspect from a very basic level, because again, how do we get the kids to manage themselves? I don't think, you know, if we give parents menus, they're going to follow it. It's going to be up, up to the kid and up to the services that we can provide. So um, the end goal is to provide both character development, mindset pieces, and nutritional components to it. 
Yeah, that kind of touches on the cultural thing, which which we'll get into now in a few moments. But like, there is no home economics in in a lot of in European. Like, there's no home economics in Ireland in secondary school. And just touching on like you were talking about, you know, that these kids don't have any physical preparation coaches. It's it's the same. Like, and like because in Ireland, because I grew up playing the Irish sports, hurling, getting football, and your coach was just the hurling and football coach. You know, there was no such thing as a, any you know uh, physical preparation support staff or anything like that. And like that always blew me away when I first went to America in that holy crap, like like the, the like the preparation and the seriousness they took like for playing sport for their school. I was like, holy crap. Because, um, you know, in Ireland, like, and in most European countries, your club is your big thing. But even at the club level, again, we don't have any physical preparation support staff. So the, the two questions I just have off your answer there is, you spoke about building the character of the coach. Could, could you maybe break, uh, you know, break down what that would look like, and then how has the reaction been from any sports coaches that you've that you've so far kind of proposed this model to? Like, so uh, what does character development look like for the coach, and how have has how's the reaction been so far? Yeah, um, with the the academies that I'm working with here, again, um, I was very fortunate to to get introduced to a very traditional academy um it's been around i don't know over a hundred years something like that like a very traditional uh football academy youth football and um and so they already have great coaches and i'm talking you know they're very respectful they're very appreciative that that we're coming and supporting and things like that so number one they already have good people and like we've already talked about uh, I don't know how you create good people. I think you find good people. And then eventually you, they start to either um, blend into the culture or they'll stick out like a sore thumb. And that was something that I had to learn really quickly um, was, hey, how do you blend into the culture? Because I've, I've been told many times, oh, that American style won't work here. You know, and I'm like, I get it. Like, I totally get it, you know, and, and I, I try not to be so American, um, which is one of the reasons I, I try to learn the language. But in terms of that, I mean, you're finding good people. But from a coach development standpoint, um, you know, we're trying to teach them how to be role models. And when you when they and you unfortunately right now, especially because language barriers is big, um, they, they, they lead by example. And I'll explain to them what I'm doing. I'm like, hey, the first thing I do when I jump on the pitch, and, and, and football coaches, soccer coaches do a really good job with this anyway, but the first thing, thing we, I do when I jump on the pitch is I go and you shake everyone's hand, you look them, you, you know, you look them in the eye and greet everyone. And they already, I mean, they do that really well as a whole. Um, but for, for us, it's just kind of looking at, okay, how are you making that initial contact daily? Then... Um, from again, the end goal is creating role models. Then we kind of teach them, hey, how are you introducing the number one focus of the day? And Joel Sanders at Exos calls it the tip of the day. You know, I call it the focus of the day. Doesn't matter, but it's just like, how are you then introducing, you know, what the goal of today is, or, or what the highlight of the, of the practice is? Um, and so, really, it's just basic informed consent basic communication with the game plan and then i mean i'm talking we're ta we're starting ground level um and then it's basically you know looking at the sandwich approach um you know uh, basic communication calling players by name 
you know, it's just like, no, you know, you know, it's like always like Johnny blank, you know, so learning how to call players by name. And I mean, so we're, we're not doing too much right now other than like the basics of kind of how they're framing up their, their coaching sessions. Um, so yeah, so that would, that would kind of just be a, a simple starting point with what we're doing with the coaches. But what was the second question? Yeah, the, the response you've gotten so far to, 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 from, from the sports coaches that you've applied the model to so far. Yeah. Um, so we've gone through, we've had the opportunity to take in this one club that I'm talking about, all the coaches through a one day education. Like they all came in on their day off on a Saturday, whatever. And we all came in and did education and they're responding well to it because right now I'm leading all the sessions. Um, and, but I'm only leading it because there's a lot of teams. I'm only leading it once a week for sure. Um, sometimes twice. So they have to lead it the other days. Um, and they've responded really well because of the model that, that I built for them. Because again, we're looking at sport coaches, not, physical development coaches or, or performance coaches. So the model that, that I built for them, um, it works in 12 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute intervals, depending on how much time they want to spend that day or depending on, you know, if it's a higher intensity day, lower intensity day, whatever. So I've, I've managed to give them, you know, frameworks for 12 minute, 15 minute and 20 minute sessions. And this, this is all under, under 15 years old. Um, so what we, what we start with, and we're just saying, Hey, if you only want to spend 12 minutes, here are the things that you're going to do. So, and we're talking about, um, football right now. So they'll start, you know, the first three minutes with just some basic ball work. Um, so we get them in a square and, and, and if you look at it from a, an exos per, uh, perspective, it's the general movement. So we start off with a three minute block and they're doing, you know, basically kind of like ball mastery work or, you know, they'll start to dribble right leg only, left leg only, 180 degree turn. So we kind of get them moving with the ball because, again, we're working with these athletes. And then the next block um, for call it, you know, five to seven minutes would be, you know, five to seven minutes of a typical movement preparation. Some days there's minibands, some days there's not. Maybe some days there's more skipping. So we've kind of designed the program for different focuses. For me, I'm designing the program whether we're working on low center of mass, angle deceleration, so more triple flexion, or we're designing the program for rotation, or if we're designing the program for um, more triple extension, high speed running plyometrics. So that's kind of how I organize the, the, the program. So you have ball work to get them engaged, interested, moving with the ball because they want it, they, that, that's what they want to do. Yeah. Movement preparation, plyometrics, again, plyo preparation type drills with the number one focus at this age, working on the deceleration component. So a lot of non-counter movement, a lot of plyo preparation, two leg, one leg. Then we get them into a quick passing drill for literally another three minutes, get the ball back in, pop, 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 pop. Um, it, depending on how many kids we have, we'll organize it different ways. They go through passing drills. Then if it's only a 12 minute program, boom, they start practice. If it's a 15 minute program um, or 20 minute program, then we'll basically add some movement mechanics or movement skills or sprint work, agility work at the top of the pyramid and then go to practice. So it depends on how much time the, the coach wants to spend on it. 
but that's the model that that we're building here in Poland. And um, and again, this is just our attempt to slowly start integrating this. Um, when I work with the senior teams, um, you know, like the first teams in these clubs, then, you know, the, the pyramid doesn't necessarily look like this. We're just talking about, hey, how are we going to get these coaches to actually identify a starting point? Um, so that's kind of how we built the, the model um, and just kind of slowly integrating it. Yeah, sounds, sounds, again, brilliant answer. I love the insights. And just uh, the coach is coming out with me now. Just so it's so interesting you say you give them the ball for the first three minutes because, like, like, you know, you know us as, as performance coaches, like, like years ago when we first got into the, into the field, it was just all about our piece. And, you know, all we ever saw was, like, you know, our piece of, you know, getting to move better and, and building their physical capacities and not realizing, like, listen, they really don't care about that. They just want to play their sport. So, you know, you kind of have to, like, you know, they, you know uh, the horse to the water. Here, come to the water. But just in how you organize that, Nick, is it a little bit of ball work? And then when you do bring them into, like, you know, more of the movement prep, the deceleration, the low-level the low level plyos, et cetera, is that more sort of is that more sort of regimented looking, or are you still doing that in a way that like how is that like are they doing like a ball drill and then they move into like a like a line where you're you've them lined up and you're seeing them as a coach like how's that organization look like? Yeah, the so after we go through the initial ball work, the organization um, depending on the age group, um, if I'm working with the U10s, U11s, um, they're in a circle orientation. Um, because it's easier for them to manage if they're kind of facing each other and yeah. not too spread out. Um, when we're starting to work with the 14-year-old kids, um, they're actually quite developed. Uh, so we get them more in a split orientation because, yep, two lines. Uh, so call it 10 to 12 players on each line because there's quite a few players. Okay. And then that'll just kind of flow right? That'll flow, that'll flow. And there's times where we bring the ball in. So let's just say, for example, um, we're coming to the end of the movement prep, and we're going to transition into uh, another ball drill like passing, then we'll kind of introduce I'll have them set up the balls if I know I want to program that. And for their rapid response work, right, they'll be doing x, y, and z, you know, pogos, um, whatever orientation, and when I say go, boom, they go and take the ball with them, do a couple of there, and then we transition right to a passing drill. Um, so depending on the age group depends on how structured it is. If they're younger, I like to keep them in a circle, and then we kind of break off and just kind of do some runs or whatever. But if they're older, then I'll take them through a split orientation because the numbers are just so high um, that we'll need to just basically – and we only have seven minutes. So we'll need to kind of keep them flowing and moving and, and yeah. I, I, the, the listeners all pissed this, but I was, I was laughing to myself there because that's exactly what I started to do with the hurling teams I was with. So like the rapid response drills. So we would go into our base and we, you know, we do either like, you know, hip rotations or base rot- uh, or just um, pogo. And we'd have a, a slitter, like literally just a meter out in front. And, you know, I, you know, you'd say like, you know, go one and they do the rapid response and go two, they go pick up the ball or whatever. And it was just to integrate, you know? So like to them, they were like, they didn't know what they were at. They just thought it was a hurling drill, you know, specific drill but like i was like lovely we're getting a rapid response in here we're working on some deceleration landing they don't realize it though so uh, it's yeah it's about sneaking it in there in, in that way but it's, it's just great to hear that from a you know coach's standpoint it's kind of like it goes back to mike's thing isn't it you have to be able to speak coach you know to the sports coach you know integrated in but uh communication is is massive 
Um, and you just alluded to there as well. I was also shaking my head uh, in like in saying yes to myself when you said like knowing the player's name. And the first thing that came to my head was like Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nicole has it right there. I bet you. Yeah. Oh, I have the, the exact same coffee. Jamie Rodriguez. The original. Yeah, the original. The little small green. You can't get that one anymore. It's brilliant. My one's in bits. I got it off Jamie Rodriguez. It was, it was, in, his, it was in his trunk. Uh, and we were, and he just like, he goes, here, do you want this? And it was the, like a copy of bits. I was like, yeah, I'll take that. But uh, yeah, it's just when you said that, I was shaking my head. Because that, that actually is one thing that I, I try to pride myself on is like, and you know this, like we know from Boyle's, like learning names. Names are important. And it actually drives me nuts when, because like me, my father said this the other day, he's like, oh, yeah, we used to have a lot of Chinese people and we couldn't pronounce their names. So we just used to call them Tom. And like in my head, I'm like, like I'm like, no, learn a person's name. Because then I actually said, I wonder if we go to China, did they say, uh, Robbie, too hard. You're Wong from now on. Do you know what I mean? Did they do the same in their culture? Like, but yeah. like, I, I was always very much like, no matter what part of the world you're from, I'd always like, like is this how I pronounce your name? Because names are goddamn important. Uh, and even when people go, oh, it doesn't matter. You know it matters. Like, yeah, it, you know yourself. When someone calls you, like, if I called you, like, you know, Teresa, you'd be like, that's a fucking name <laughs> in your head. Like, mm-hmm. so, but names are important. But sorry, I'm, I'm digressing here. The, the other topic I really want to touch on, because you're a master of this too, is communication. Like, your your ability to get a message across is, like, second to none. Like, for people who haven't seen a cold coach, I'll just say this. The first time you see a coach, you're like, holy fuck, she can coach. <laughs> that's what you're going to say. Your coaching ability is amazing. Um, but your communication skills are fantastic too. And for someone who's so well traveled globally, uh, you know, you also, you, you mean you speak a second language and you, well, do you, do you speak more than English and Spanish? Do you speak anything else? Uh, well, I speak English and Spanish and right now I'm, I'm learning Polish. So, so yeah, my, cool. my goal by the end of 19, uh, 2019, excuse me, is to be able to coach in obviously English, Spanish and Polish. Like that's, okay. that's G- my goal. Jinkwai? Is that what they say for thank you? Jinkwai? Is that Polish? Oh, Dziękuję. Dziękuję. Uh, I wasn't far off. I wasn't far off. Um, but uh, yeah, let's get into, or I'd like you to allude on um, communication, you know, so, and, and like, again, you've, you're so well-traveled, you've experienced so many different cultures, like how you've had to adapt to different cultures in terms of communication. You mentioned nonverbal communication earlier on. So like, just talk about communication. You'll probably, you'll probably get into human behavior too. I know that me and you have a, have a very shared love for human behavior. We've spoken about that at length before and kind of like getting to understand ourselves first, which then helps us to understand others. You know, we've spoken at length about that and that everyone, everything is there for a reason. But yeah, speak about culture, communication, different environments, nonverbal, nonverbal communication, just the importance of it, your whole thoughts on it. And, and mm-hmm. that'll, probably, that'll probably bring us right up to close. So uh, mm-hmm. go ahead. Go ahead, my friend. Yeah, no, I, in terms of communication, it's key. Um, I think there's an element where your uh, network, the companies, the teams that you work with kind of give you the stage. But ultimately, um, it's all about how you present yourself and, and the things that you say. Um, so for me, as you know, Robbie, um, maybe a little too militant, but where no matter if I'm coaching a 10 year old team or a, a professional team, for me, my presentation always starts from what I'm wearing. And as a as a female coach, it actually matters even more. Um, so for me, um, I'm always dressed really well and professional. And actually that stems from my father. Um, He always used to tell me, 
I believe it or not, I would shine my, my, my cleats and my gear and oil my gloves before every single game. At, starting at a very young age, like that's what we would do before the game. That was our, our pre-night ritual and, and just kind of getting everything ready. So for me, my dad always taught me, hey, you have to look good to play good. And so for me, the professional aspect is king. Um, and then so that that's going to be the first thing, because people will judge you the minute you're walking up. And I'm already um, from a different country. I don't speak the language. I'm a female working with all men. Um, so for me, that's going to be the first step. Um, I have worked for many years. Um, because I'm a very, I have a very serious personality. Like I like to take care of business and you know that. And a lot of people know that. And I think it's funny when Mark Versagan, literally in the middle of a perform better conference, he's like, and now you're going to go work with Nicole Rodriguez, but I'm just giving you a warning. She's intense as hell. And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> so I, people know me as kind of a very serious, intense personality. So I've learned, especially in these cultures to just always walk in with uh, some sort of smile. Um, so again, to me, before I even start speaking, the way I look and the way I'm presenting myself initially is important. Um, and then whether, because right now in Poland, I'm working with so many new groups that have no idea who I am, um, no idea, you know, who Exos is, no idea who, you know, with, with the organizations that I've worked with. Um, so literally, it, it just starts off with being clear and concise. Um, so I always, when I work with new people, um, I'm always like, okay, what, what am I going to say in 20 seconds? You know, and it's usually my name, um, why I'm here, and, and the goals for the day. And it's literally just a short, simple, and it's usually having to get translated. Um, so I'm just kind of introducing myself so they know who, who, we're, who, who I am and what we're doing. And then the last thing that I do in that communication uh, piece is when I'm introducing myself to a new team or a new squad, um, I get them in a circle. And this is something I learned from a, a great rugby coach um, that I worked with in Argentina and and he's like Nicole like these guys are three times your size you know and I was like I know he goes I think every time you talk to these players we're gonna have to just organize them in a circle so you don't get lost and I was like amazing so now again in my intro I'm dressed well I have my 20 minute intro of, or 20 second intro of who I am and in that 20 second intro um, and because I probably already shook everyone's hand Okay, but in that 20 second intro, I make it a point to look everyone in the eye. And again, it's not this intimidation factor at all, it, at all, but I make it a point to look everyone in the eye so they know, hey man, like I'm here for you. Like that, that's the, the only reason, like your leadership brought me in to help support you. And literally with that, you know, that happens within a very short time frame. And then as soon as we get working, again, all the things that we've learned across our career, you know, global queuing, local queuing, giving them some feedback. I start the majority of my work now with a game. I have at least one to two games programmed in. Um, some of them are easy, some of them are hard, uh, but I, I start every session with the game now. So I think right there that gives 
um, the athlete to kind of buy in a little bit and trust. Um, so, I mean, I know that's pretty, I mean, but literally like I'm literally writing down what I'm wearing that day. Is it a men's team? Is it a women's team? Is it a youth team? What colors am I wearing? Like, how am I fixing my hair? Like all that. Um, and I've spoke about that at length before in terms of how I present myself. Um, you know, I have to figure out in different cultures if I can take up a lot of space with my body language or if I kind of have to be a little bit slower and more reserved and not be so, you know, quick and active with, with my body language. So all that kind of comes into play, but it's really, again, not what you're saying, but your nonverbal communication, which a lot of coaches have spoken at length about. Yeah. That's really, really, really great advice. Um, yeah. And listen, like, uh, it's, it's funny, like when you, you said like kind of about your father, like, you know, stern, but fair. Cause that's what I always say. Like, you know, you say you're intense, but I was like, I like, that would be like, if people would say like, you know, what's the call? Like, like she's, she like, she's intense, but she's fair. I like, I remember during my internship, like, um, I'd always, you know, I'd always tell people like, you know, Nicole, if, if she breaks your balls, that's a good sign. Cause that shows she cares. Like you'd be worried if Nicole, like just like, if you were doing a terrible job and like, she, she was like, Oh, you're doing great. And, like I was, cause if I ever saw that, I'm like, Oh, she doesn't care. <laughs> she, she doesn't, she doesn't care for that person. Whereas like, you know, when you were always putting your time and energy to someone, you're like, that's cause she sees something in you. So like, I always appreciate that about you. But, uh, like that, um, listen, I mean, like as as you know and as i know and as i alluded to like myself and yourself we have a deep appreciation for human behavior and like why human beings are the way they are and listen so much comes down to like you know environment life experiences and like you know i actually love like find out, finding that out today you know that you know you shined your boots you know you got prepared like nothing wrong with that like that's self-respect that's just getting the mind right that was your way of getting prepared for sport the next day and like that's why we all have different perceptions of the world. It's funny when you mentioned you know your your presentation there because as you were talking, I was kind of like, because you know me, Nicole, I'm way more laid back in terms of presentation. And like I've had people say that to me in in like you know that probably holds you back probably to a degree, but it's just that in my life that priority was never high on my priority list. And like to be honest, if if there is situations where like I do to present myself, it'll have to be higher in the priority list if I do want to put a better step forward. But it just goes to show, like I'm just bringing that point up because it just shows that we're too different human beings with different priorities and that shapes our perceptions you know so like it's like like anything, like you walk into a house like my one of my i'll use my mother as an example and i don't mean to go too far off here but like her big priority is the house like she, the house has to be in order clean and to be honest that's just her coping mechanism in life it gives her a sense of certainty that she can hang on to it's her safety blanket like where for me it's exercise food and studying like they're my safety blankets i'm certain you know they're there every day they're you know they give me the same reward mechanisms in the brain it's like it comes back probably to dopamine dopamine seems to be the big thing everyone's talking about these days but yeah. uh it, yeah it, it, like it's just you know we all have different perceptions on how we see reality and we all have different ways of developing coping mechanisms and and getting senses of certainty into our life that that help us you know basically stabilize us day-to-day though so that we can carry on otherwise we would fucking be going out of our mind we're like ah oh, we'd be too like afraid to do anything you know yeah so, uh yeah again no question on that just sort of uh, i'm just sort of saying some thoughts there and if you want to expand on that you can and just before i do let you expand we're just going to wrap up now with some with some questions but i definitely want to have you back on for a part two because i have i just wrote down here i was like i really want to talk about mindset with you and psychological development and the reason why i bring that up is 
I listened to a podcast with this, uh, a woman called Adi Kaju. She's actually been on a podcast that I interviewed her for with OPEX. And she owns Working Against Gravity, which are an online-based nutritional company. But she said something kind of, and it was one of these things I call where you're like, I know this. The way she said it, it made it kind of more profound. And she was like, you know, when we talk about like physical training, we realize that that's developing our physical body. And we realize that a lot of people use that for prevention of like, you know, disease later on in life and longevity and all that. And she's like, but we never think about like going, doing preventative mental training. So she's like, I have a therapist. But she's like, most people think about going to a therapist when they think there's something wrong with them mentally. She's like, no, I go to therapists like so that nothing nothing happens to me. So I was like, God, like that made so much sense to me so i from from your aspect i really want to talk about mindset you know and like you know working on your psychological development and all that type of stuff and i also want to get you to talk about speed and agility because like that is your way that's just like such a wheelhouse and um, so maybe we have to do a, a, a you know two other episodes because mindset could be a whole thing in itself but uh, i don't know if you have anything to add to what i was saying about perceptions and people's priorities that i just said before that if you do floor is yours and then after this i'm going to ask you just some rapid fire rounds um no i think we'll, we'll go into the rapid uh, cool. response yeah cool. I, I thought you summarized it quite well <laughs> thanks nick <laughs> um so like i say these are rapid fire but like when people hear the question the question like that's not a rapid fire so i mean the, the answers can be as long as you need to take uh biggest lessons you've learned maybe like i all say biggest lessons in your life and career today but maybe to you it could be something maybe that's been more prominent than the last year or two but the biggest lessons you've learned so far um, knowing the people that you surround yourself with and from a professional standpoint, um, I, I think that that's, I think that that's King. I was very lucky to be surrounded with the Dennis Logans of the world, the Darcy Normans and Nick Winkleman, Mark Verstegen, and Mike Boyle. Like I've been so lucky to be surrounded by these incredible professionals um, when I, when I'm not surrounded with, by them, it, it's those types of people, it's different. Um, so the biggest thing that I've learned is understand the type of people that you work well with, um, and whether that's a husband or wife or whatever the case is as well, but understanding the people that you work well with and, um, basing your decisions off of that. Um, because I think as we continue and on in the industry, we all get many opportunities, but like we talked about in the beginning, not all of them are a good fit for you. So understanding who you can collaborate and be innovative with and just have a good relationship with the types of people, and then basically saying no to those um, organizations that don't fall in those uh, categories. It's only a matter of time before Darcy comes to Ireland. We already have Nick and Dennis. I know, I know. <laughs> the Irish soccer team. I mean, it's funny. The Irish soccer team only recently just got a new manager. It'd be so funny if they like the ah no, Darcy Norman formerly. What the? Um, <laughs> it could happen. Um, how do you learn, Nick? What's your learning process? Experience. Um, I've I've always been like I've always been that way. Um, wow. Where I I learn by doing. Um, you know, I said, hey, I I want to really dive in and throw all my chips in this long-term development um, realm. And, and the only way that I can do it is if I do it and do it well, is if I'm surrounded by it daily. Um, So I, I learn by doing, I learn by experiences. Um, And, and for me, because I'm a very emotional person, 
um, obviously looking at my upbringing and things like that. Like, so for me, there has to be that emotional component to it. So for me, it needs to be a little more tactile. Yeah. Yeah. Mastery. That's mastery right there. Is there any daily routine that you do that's essential to your day? Mm. Like a daily ritual? Um, Yep. Uh, Mike Boyle actually taught me in the beginning, like 2006, you know, when we were all kind of complaining about the long work hours and he's like, listen, he's like, it all depends on how much money you want to make. Um, that's a horrible Mike Boyle, Boyle voice, but he's just like, listen, you plan your day the way you want it. He's like, if you want to start your day at 10, you start your day at 10. And, um, that's actually what I do now for the most part. Um, I don't schedule any phone calls before 10 a.m. Um, and, and, and it's not because I sleep in late or anything like that. Cause I'm usually in bed before 10 PM for sure. Um, cause I'm kind of an old lady like that, but, um, I don't start my day before 10 unless I absolutely have to. Um, obviously when you're working and consulting then that kind of changes. Um, but even like some of the teaching engagements that, that I commit to, like the schedule starts at 10 AM because my, I need about two hours. I know that sounds long and, but you know what? I can do it. I'm single. I don't have any kids, but I need about two hours to go through my, my routine and, and I'm talking start to finish. Um, so I wake up, um, I have about three grams of Himalayan salt with some lemon water. Um, I have, (laughs) this is probably why my morning routine takes so long. I have an elaborate coffee process. I sit there, I measure my beans, I grind my beans, I take it through my whole little arrow press process, and then I sit and enjoy my coffee. After that, I journal, um, short journaling. I'm not, a, I'm not, um, but to me, like, I write to um, be creative. I don't write to, like, write down my ideas. I, I write because that helps me be creative. Um, so then I journal, um, and then after I journal, I'll either eat if I wake up hungry or I'll just kind of do some, some movement. Um, and there's a lot of things that I'm developing right now for, for youth. Uh, so I'm actually testing all of that on a daily basis. I'm um, like, Hey, like what are the daily movements that we want these kids to be doing? Um, so I'll, I'll do some movement. Um, and then I'll usually, or I'll like go to the gym and go work out cause it's literally across the street. Um, and then, yeah, and then I'll shower and that, and then I bet I have a nice slow morning and, yeah. uh, yeah. So that's kind of my morning, my morning routine. And I, and I do that uh, on a daily basis, as long as I don't have to start my day before, uh, 8am. Yeah, cool. Uh, it's similar to me in terms of I like a nice I'm a nice slow morning guy too I like to read walk and I'm saying my, my like I don't have a huge breakfast I, I like you know I have some small but I like your coffee like I I when I'm prepping meals I love the whole process so enjoying the meal yeah it's similar it's great well, Robbie from all those years of hitting the ground running oh. you know from literally college all the way through 2017 you know you, you just you wake up and you hit the ground running and and honestly, that was really bad for me um, personally. Um, and I was really good at it. I'm yeah. so good. I'm so, my body and my mind wants to run on adrenaline. Like yeah. I'm like a, I'm like a racehorse. Absolutely. And if you just, if you let me, I'll go. And so like, I have to actually practice and train um, to slow myself down. And that's, you know, part of the reason I'm ADHD and all whatever the case is. Right. Um, but no, like that's how my body wants to perform. So I have to actually 
pull it back and pull on the reins a little bit. So yeah, uh, that's definitely something I do want to talk on next time we have you on. Is that you know, like it's kind of like i was in this mindset too like you know like there's 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 a certain essence of your character right and you start to be like is that a flawed character trait and then like you you flip and say no like that's part of my essence like that's a strength in me so like when you say like my body runs on adrenaline it's like yeah but that's when you're your best and you're most creative you know so Mm -hmm. like you start flipping out it was james Fitzgerald talking about he's like uh, like he's like why are you denying that strength in you like that's your essence he's like be proud of that wear that like that's okay so yeah but yeah uh, yeah i always yeah whenever i think of nicole i always think sympathetic nervous system that's yeah. What I always think. Yeah. yeah yeah but uh but listen i mean that's that's what makes you the absolutely amazing coach that you are and uh yeah so uh i, I could keep complimenting you but uh, I'll, I'll just finish up our last few questions um your books, Nicole. So your top book recommendation and what are you currently reading? So your top and current books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm currently reading uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, again, like I'm trying to uh, lead. I, I'm, I'm practicing and learning how to lead organizations. Um, I've always kind of been led when it came to a like global business perspective um, so, so I'm practicing that right now. Yeah. Um, and then, so yeah, great book. Um, I actually just started it and it's going to be my, my Christmas read, but I've read a lot of her other books, um, you know, just basically about vulnerability and things of that nature. I'm just kind of looking at my, my recent books. Um, to be honest this year, I told myself because I, I, I'm not in the U S I told myself, I'm just going to reread all the books that I have. Um, so I'm actually, uh, rereading right now principles by Ray Dalio, which to me, that's more of a reference book. Um, right now I'm rereading a soft tissue manipulation book. Um, I, one of my favorite books that I like to reread, I know this sounds funny, but it's a checklist manifesto. Um, so I told myself I wasn't going to buy any more books. So I'm just kind of rereading all of those books right now. Um, but the majority of the books that I'm currently reading, um, are on personal development and, yeah. and things of that nature. So that's so ironic. Cause I said the exact same thing at the end of last year. I was like, I'm not buying a book this year. Cause I, like Nicole, I could turn my computer here and I've like, of library books and I was like the answers I'm, pr- I'm probably looking for are already in my bookshelf it's kind of like when you give your hard drive to someone and say will you put that on my hard drive and you never look at your hard drive and then like you go back and say can I get that off you and you're like it's already on your hard drive <laughs> you know what I mean and one other book that I'm I'm uh I've been kind of rereading this year is Triphasic Training by Cal Dietz oh. I I love that book I love it too I absolutely I, love I reread that I reread that as well this year so yeah Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I've also been studying. Um, I actually took a Z Health course in January when I was in Phoenix. Um, so yeah, and 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 I I'm not there yet. I've I've implemented some key things that I thought were important, like the sensory awareness piece. Like oh, there's so many games that we play with the sensory awareness piece. Cool. Um, and so so I'm kind of diving into that from a professional standpoint. But if you ask me, like what's on your bookshelf right now, it's going to be kind of more along the lines of personal development. All right, last two. You've one year left on planet Earth. Now, you're, you're not dying. You just have one year left. Elon Musk has, has managed to get us off. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to leave. So basically, you're leaving when you can't come back for whatever reason. But you're, you're still alive. So you've only one year left on planet Earth. What would you do with that one year and why? Uh, this is going to sound a little corny, but I, I would make sure that I 
complete my long-term athletic development project. I know yeah. that that sounds no, no, wild. No, but to me, no, um, I'm a teacher at heart. And to me, it's, it's something that I wish that more people, the only reason that more people aren't focusing on it because there's no funding behind it. So like, I don't know if you can see this shirt that I'm wearing. It says you become what you envision. Yeah. And it's in mirror text. That's why you can't read it. I was wondering, was that just my camera? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's in mirror text. So when a kid looks at themselves in the mirror, they're going to see this message. You become what you envision. Um, so if I only had a year left, um, I would just kind of, because I mean, let's be honest, Robbie, I'm the type of person where my, my life is my work and my work is my life. Yeah. You know, I, I, w- I really wish it was another way. Um, not, not, not necessarily, but that's just kind of how my life has been playing out. So if I only had a year left, um, I would make sure that I'm spending that year with my family, um, with my nephew, my sisters, my mom. And within that, on the day-to-day, I would just make sure that I'm developing the best resources to pass on to other people. And, um, yeah, I think I think that would be good. Sweet. Last one, the big one. So I, I go over to Poland to visit you, and I say, Nick, I'm going to take you out for dinner. And Nicole, I have, I have a secret to tell you. And you're like, what are you talking about? And I say, I've got magic powers. And you're like, you're as weird as ever. And I say, you got what? I've, I've got magic powers. All right. And you're like, you're as weird as ever, Robbie. So we're going to dinner. And I say, Nicole, you can bring five people to dinner. And they can be dead or alive. So I can bring people back from the dead. Who would you invite to this dinner and why? So they, they, don't, they can be dead or alive, but they, they don't have to be either or. People that I know or anyone? Anyone. I mean, anyone. That, yeah, anyone you want. Can be family, can be, can be somebody you want to meet from history, anyone, five people. You know what? Um, at this point, sorry, this won't probably too, be too interesting. At this point, I would probably invite a lot of my family uh, because I don't see them. I literally, I'm only in the U.S. for 30 days of the year yeah, yeah. because of visa and tax things. Um, so I, I would probably invite a lot of my family and friends. Um, but if I, I would, I would, I actually am a big Tony Robbins fan. Um, I would, I would probably bring someone from the personal development space. Um, but but yeah, I would probably just bring my family just because I, um, I miss home and I don't get to see them. So if you're asking me who's coming to dinner, it'll probably be them. Great. No, I love the answer. (laughs) Actually, a few people have given that for Ben, Dr. Ben Hale said that he says, I just want to bring around my family and friends, you know? So listen, I I fully appreciate that. Nick, this has been stimulating as always. Thank you so much for making time today. I'll wrap up and say goodbye to you offline. So, as I've been saying to all the listeners lately, you're spoiled people, spoiled. All this great information for free. You know what I mean? So, but uh, listen, it's, uh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I absolutely want to get you back on to, to touch on those topics, you know, some mindset, speed and agility. And I mean, you could wrap on for a long time. But for everyone listening, as I say at the end of every, sh- every show, take care, be well, and stay strong. Stay strong.